0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Thinking Theologically podcast, the show where we teach you how and why you should think theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodge, and joined by the master reg- resident theologian in training, Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing good. Tired. It's. I think I've said this like every episode the past couple of episodes, but about the end of the year being the busiest time for preachers. Um, yes as you're all the holidays that close out the year, which bring along special things that your church does. I think this Uh, is
0: how the last episode began. It's literally this conversation.
1: (laughs) And trying to get ready for the new year,
0: Yeah, which uh, there's a lot. uh,
1: Yeah. So I'm January 1st. Everything gets easier because it's, it's, it's done. Everything's planned. You've got through all the special holiday stuff and, Especially last year and this year, where you've got holidays falling on Sundays. Last year, Christmas was on a Sunday, yeah, uh, yeah, and New Year's Day was on a Sunday. And this year, it's the Eves—Christmas uh, Eve, New Year's Eve—are mm-hmm. uh, both on Sundays. So, um, yeah, just get, just push, push through the end of the year and everything that it entails, and then things will. Get easier i don't know i'm i'm hoping to start phd work january 1st so push to the end of the year for things to get more difficult maybe
0: but Um, yeah a different difficult yeah you know there's that at least and uh, a
1: little change of
0: yeah yeah back back to school back to school for however (laughs) long that will take three years three years okay three years And then I'll, then it'll be, if we're still doing this in three years, um, uh, what doctor,
1: doctor, resident theologian. (laughs) And when I have my doctorate, am I still in training or am I just the doctor resident theologian?
0: I think, I think we're always in training theologically, right? That's the, that's the idea. We could re- we could refer to me as somebody in training as well. It's just not the same kind. Um, fair, fair. Yeah, we we'll, we'll have,
1: we we've got three years to workshop that. <laughs> we'll try my to figure my it new out. description.
0: <laughs> we'll try to figure it out. Uh, we'll we'll then. throw
1: it into an AI generator and see what pops out. Oh man, AI in three years comes up uh, with so, i mean i oof. i know we're not talking about ai but man the helpfulness of uh we'll do an episode on this at some point in time i've got a friend who's uh, actually getting ready to write a book on uh artificial intelligence and church work and stuff like that so Ooh. um okay. i'd be interested to to talk with him but man i've i've used it to come up with sermon series titles like I know what i'm gonna preach but i couldn't come up with a good title and you can just be like hey give me 10 possible titles for this yeah. and when something sticks out you could be like okay expand give me 10 variants of this and it you know what would take me weeks of personal brainstorming happens in a few seconds um and you can, most people don't realize, you know, just how much you can customize it. Like, I've never found something on the first go, but it's like, okay, let's take this and expand. Let's take this and expand. Or let me take this and I do a little work on it myself and you get the final product. Um, logos. We're yeah, yeah. having a new church logo and our logo for our 2024 theme. We're all AI generated. Uh, now i made edits to them but i took a concept and it you know it took an
0: hour yeah that's it really just streamlines those processes so it'll be interesting to see how much that uh how much that develops three years from now like how much uh how much more efficient and I mean, better is the word that comes up. That's not the word I want. It's not a substantial enough word. Uh, h- how more real all those things look. There is some amount of uh, fear. If something's, if some piece of technology is really good, it probably has capacity for a lot of evil too. <laughs> and that's definitely the case with this. Uh, but, but you just, yeah. if if people learn how to
1: use them, like, um, it's, it's not, uh, it's not something to fear. Like I know I've talked to, uh, cause I, I, I know one of the big things that people were afraid of was like in school, like get it to write your essays and stuff for you. Yeah. Um, and I was always like, well, shouldn't we be teaching people how to evaluate things, not just spit out information? Because we have the Internet like the, And that's all AI does right now is it gathers all this information from the Internet. But it can't at least right now, it can't evaluate it like it can't sustain a other than stealing from other places. Right. Evaluating like it can tell you, you know, what does what do people believe about? Whatever hot button issue it is, but it can't evaluate those arguments, right? It can just spit it all out, which the internet's been able to do. Like I've never understood why we were still, uh, doing research papers that were not persuasive. Like what? Yeah. That's what Wikipedia is for. Like yeah. the, it, the job's been done. Like the, there's no use in that other than to help people learn how to write. But eventually, you've got to progress to how do I evaluate? We're filled with so much information. How do I evaluate this information? Um, which is actually not that different than what our episode's on.
0: Uh, how do we? How do we evaluate? It's true. Um, Very true. Information in scripture. Yeah, we uh, we covered in the last episode, uh, wisdom literature, and how to interpret mm-hmm. uh, that part of the Old Testament, we move into the Gospels today with how to interpret those things with some uh, interesting discussion, I think, uh, today for this episode. The show notes look somewhat short, but who knows uh, how long the episode will actually go. Probably means it'll be the longest. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Uh, But before we get into actually how to interpret the Gospels and evaluating those things, I want to remind you about our Facebook page, Thinking Theologically, and to uh, follow us there, uh, as well as uh, our website, thinkingtheologically.org, where we do post uh, articles from time to time and have some more plans for things like that. So if you're not on... Uh, if you're not following us on Facebook or checking the website uh, every now and again, then you're maybe missing some extra uh, dives into some of these subjects uh, that we discuss here on the podcast. Uh, also, want to remind you about strongchurchministries at gmail.com. That's where you can reach us with uh, thoughts about episodes, questions, uh, maybe thoughts for future episodes and criticisms and stuff but if you want to criticize you should save it for social media you can get a a hold of uh, spencer and i on facebook or me on facebook and spencer on facebook and everywhere else that's how i should uh that's how i should say that so uh if you want to criticize that's the place to do it everybody knows that uh just air it out publicly or send it to our dms with Anger and all that, you know, whatever. And we will do our best to interpret it in the appropriate way because that's what we're interested and in. And give you an AI formulated response. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so we're talking about gospels today and how to interpret those. Um, I would think that most people would probably go, Gospels, those are like out of all the New Testament stuff, those are the easy ones. Gospels are easy to interpret. It's just, you just read it and it's pretty straightforward. And all of that, as it turns out, there's more. Uh, there's more to it than just going through and going, ah, it's just Jesus's life and telling us about stuff. The gospels differ pretty heavily from one another, and I don't just mean John from the others, but all four of them are uh, share various similarities, but then also have peculiarities and how those similarities are presented and where they're presented and all that sort of stuff which brings up questions about okay why why are they written that way what am I supposed to do with this and uh, we've got a bunch to a bunch to say about that we're going to start with context uh, in interpreting the gospels here and uh, this is where I mean eventually here it'll it'll get pretty interesting in, in discussion. Hear us all the way through, I guess, is what I'm, <laughs> what I'm saying here. Spencer, where do we wanna start uh, with with the idea of context in interpretation?
1: So I wanna mention what we're gonna talk about in the context section, and in the the second thing that we're gonna talk about, we've had not full in-depth discussions, but more in-depth discussions of these ideas in previous yeah. episodes. Uh, I went back and looked, if you're on uh, one of the podcast platforms, so Spotify, Apple Podcasts, something like that, they should be numbered. uh, Episode 31 and 32, we talk about in episode 31, the Gospels, Tradition, and Genre. And in episode 32, uh, how were the Gospels composed? And so... I would refer you back to those if you haven't listened to them, because the we're not in going the to go. show notes,
0: by the way. We'll, we'll have them there on, yes. on the website. Uh,
1: go back and listen to those if you haven't, because that's going to be a little deeper discussion of some of these things. We're not going to go quite as in-depth, but talk more about application. So how do we use these ideas in at the actual practice of reading and interpreting the Gospels is what we're going to dive into into here, not so much into how they work. And I mentioned to Jack, I would like at some point down the road to do a truly deep dive into some of these concepts, which we have yet to do. Yeah. Um. But we'll save that for later on down the road. So uh, when you think about context, which is where we've started in all of these episodes, I, I think the context of the Gospels begins with staying inside of the same gospel. So if you're interpreting a passage in Mark, stay in Mark, or Matthew, stay in Matthew, Luke, stay in Luke, John, stay in John. Uh, Allow the gospel texts to stand on their own, and so fight the urge to compare gospels, to compare the same story in other gospels, or to try to harmonize all the gospel accounts. I am a firm believer that harmonies of the gospel are like the worst thing that have ever been made. Um I think they're just absolutely <laughs> terrible and unbeneficial and inaccurate and I could go on and on and on. But they date very early. Uh the Diatessaron, which uh literally means through the gospels, uh was a harmonizing of the synoptic gospels uh that dates to the 2nd century. Mm. So early on, people were trying to harmonize the Gospels, and early on, people were like, don't do that. Um, and uh, the reason is is that each Gospel writer is trying to do something different with their stories, and so allow them to do so. Um, we're going to talk here in a moment about how you begin to compare Gospels, but at first, when you're reading a story, let the story stand on its own. Let That particular writer, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, do with the story what they are trying to do with the story. Because when you begin to compare the Gospels, you don't allow Matthew to tell you what Matthew wants to tell you with the story. Or allow Mark to tell you what Mark wants to tell you. And then when you try to harmonize, the problem with harmonizing is you get these discrepancies in the stories because they're told differently. Yeah. Because the different authors are trying to do different things, and what you end up doing is having to guess, and and that's what it is, you're just guessing, you're throwing out into the black abyss a possibility of how to harmonize them. And typically, when you read a harmonizing of the Gospels, these ways of trying to make these stories line up that we're just guessing at are presented as fact, which is problematic. Yeah. Uh, or, um, you know, I've seen people really struggle in their faith cause they can't figure out how to harmonize them and forgetting that the gospel authors never wanted you to harmonize them. So for example, um, uh, you remember the story of Jesus, uh, f- uh telling the, uh, at least some of the disciples, uh, to toss the net out and you have the big catch of fish. Yeah. So, uh, in Luke 5, I believe it is, you have an account. Uh, Peter, James, and John are fishing. They've been very unsuccessful. Jesus borrows their boat and preaches to the crowd. He then tells them to go out into the water and to cast their nets, and they have this big catch of fish, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. then he says, come and follow me, and I'll make you uh, fishers of people, right?
0: right.
1: Um, John has the practically the same story. But it's at the end. I think it's John chapter 21. It's after the resurrection. Um, he Jesus appears to the disciples who, again, have been fishing, very unsuccessful, tells them, I think that's the version casted on the other side of the boat. And they have this big catch of fish. And then Jesus does the thing with Peter of, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Mm-hmm. And that concludes with the same statement that Jesus makes to Peter, James, and John in Luke chapter five, follow me. They, they both, same story, that both in the same way, follow me, right? Um, yeah. Well, did Jesus do that once or did he do it twice? Maybe he did it once and Luke and John choose to tell it at different places to make different points. Uh, or maybe Jesus did it twice. We have no idea. Um, it's not important. Right? What is Luke trying to do with the story? He's showing how Jesus makes himself known to Peter, James, and John in order to f- call non-followers to become followers. And John, uh, Jesus is making himself known to Peter to call Peter to a new level of dedication because Peter has just denied Jesus. Right. Um, yeah, so yeah. they're trying to use those a little bit differently. Um, so let the Gospels uh, stand on their own. And that would be the the place to start. Um, don't try to compare at first. Don't try to to harmonize. Uh, don't do any of that crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, let it stand on its own. Which means that you also practice some of the other things that we've talked about, right? Uh, understand how, how does asking questions of how does this story fit into Luke's overall theme, right? Because Luke's writing to Uh, primarily Gentiles, Matthews writing to uh, primarily Jews, you know, and they have different themes that they emphasize, you know, Luke, the table theme and the Holy Spirit theme. And so you're asking questions of, you know, how does this story fit into Luke's overall uh, book? How does it fit in with Luke's themes? You know, you read the stories before it and after it of uh, why does Luke choose to tell this story here and not somewhere else? And, How does it fit into the overall theme of the chapter, of the section? Like All those things that I think most people know those, and we've talked about them in past episodes. You you do all that first, like stay in the gospel and do that work. And then, as we're about to get to, you can start doing some comparison, but you have to be careful how you do it.
0: Yes. Yeah, there's... Uh, we have mentioned some in the past. I think in some of the, like the episode 31 and 32, we we referenced a little bit, but um, uh, they're all over the place. Um, the, yeah, how many angels are at the resurrection? Who got there first? Um, the, you know, those are going to be different. Uh, even with the other similarities that are there, you have stuff like uh, Jesus being tempted in the, the wilderness and Matthew goes bread temple mountaintop and luke says bread mountaintop temple well did that happen two different times or who's right or yeah again the the, the feedings yeah. you have a
1: 5000 and a 4000 right did it did jesus do it twice or did he do it once and we just have different versions of the events yeah um a different count uh, uh in in essence cuz it happens the exact same way um And so uh, the the
0: suggestion that we're making here or the assertion uh, is that the way those things are written, uh, I mean, if we if we needed one gospel, we'd have one gospel, but we have four and we should keep them as four is the point of what is being said here and view each of those gospels in just as their own thing and try to understand what's what's happening in Matthew, what's happening in Mark, what's happening in Luke, what's happening in John. Why are these things presented the way that they are within this book? Uh, and that's everything from words used to where things are and all of that. And there's value afterwards, like after doing all that work, to then go, why why is it different from this other one? Like, how, how do these... Similar things differ in kind of the point they're trying to make. There's value in that later on, but don't start there. That's don't don't start there. That's a big mistake. Uh, keep things keep this keep the gospel separate. They're they're written separate. Keep them separate, and and do their own thing. Okay, moving on from here. Something that well, I, this might be helpful for listeners that are maybe unengaged with this this was something that i've heard kind of this is this is how this works and uh, is an answer to this sort of stuff i've also heard like this is garbage don't use it that's not how it worked at all uh it flies in the face of inspiration and all that sort of stuff uh I would say that neither is really the case, in all of that. But you've done a lot of uh, you've done a lot of work on the stuff that's being presented here. So listen to these things and uh, hear all the way through. Moving from uh, the gospels being individual, uh, maybe they uh, maybe they uh, borrowed from each other. What do you have to say about those things? So
1: if if we start. In the one gospel, right? We don't try to harmonize them. We don't try to compare them at first. Yeah. Uh, we when we then move on from that. So we've we've established. Okay, this is how Luke is using the story, or this is how Matthew is using the story. This is how Mark's using the story. Uh, you could also go back. I've written some articles that I we've shared. I think the last two Easter's about the resurrect resurrection accounts in the different Gospels and how they're different and what the different authors are trying to do with that story, how it fits into their overall theme. So that's an example of the step one. Of, And then when that's established, you can begin to do some comparison uh, of the different uh, accounts um, within the different Gospels, but uh, you have to be careful with the way that you do it. So The first thing that I think is important to understand uh, is what's called Mark in priority. We talked about this in those other two episodes. It's the idea that Mark was the first gospel written probably in the late 60s, so 68, 69, right before 70 when the temple was destroyed. Uh, That's likely when Mark was dated. And This is an oversimplification, but I find it for the average person in the pew an easy way to think about it. So Mark's written in the late 60s, and then Matthew in the 70s, Luke in the 80s, John in the 90s. So you can kind of think of 10-year gaps between each of the Gospels, starting with Mark. Uh, Now, we know that the authors used sources— Right. Let's take Luke, for example. He's the best example because he tells us that he used sources, right? Yeah. And Luke, r- regardless, uh, you know, there's debates to be had about who actually wrote the different Gospels because uh, you may or may not know that the original Gospels had no name attached to them. It wasn't called originally the Gospel according to Matthew or according to Mark or according to Luke or according to John. It just started. There was no title originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no name because it wasn't a letter. Like Paul's letters begins with, I, Paul, to the church in Corinth. Yeah. Uh, so you know the audience. You know the author. That's not the way the gospels start. If you, There's no specific audience mentioned. There's no specific author mentioned uh, because they're not letters. They're ancient biographies. And so uh, over time, tradition, church tradition, attaches names to the gospels. That's where we get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But you have to understand that, like, with the Gospel of Luke, you have someone 500 years after Luke was written say that someone 300 years earlier, so 200 years after Luke was written, said that Luke wrote it. Like, that, that, it's not very reliable, in other words. Um, now, I actually think that there's good argument for Luke writing Luke. Some of the other Gospels, I think, are a little bit more debatable. But uh, if you take all of that out of consideration, Luke tells us that he used sources, and Luke is not an apostle, which means he wasn't there with Jesus. Right. He didn't witness any of these things. So even if you don't believe Luke wrote it, you probably aren't going to argue that another one of the apostles wrote it, generally. Um, so Luke has to rely on sources. He has to rely on other written materials and stories from eyewitnesses and oral tradition that has been passed down from eyewitnesses. Like that's what Luke has to to, to rely on. He's relying on these sources. And I've always said, I find it very hard to believe that the gospel of Mark has been around for 20 years and Luke's going around compiling sources to write his gospel, and he doesn't include the gospel of Mark. Like, just logically, that doesn't make much sense. Um, but secondly, if you actually get into the the Greek, which in some episode in the future, I, I want us to do, and we can see this a little bit. But if you start to read uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the Greek... What you will see is that where Matthew and Luke seem to be following Mark's order of events, they follow it almost exactly, like with 95% accuracy. Like that, they follow Mark exactly, almost like they're copying from Mark. And when they veer off of Mark's order, so like the beginning and the ending of the Gospels, mm-hmm. both Matthew and And Luke have stories about Jesus' birth and stories about Jesus' resurrection appearances, neither of which appear in the Gospel of Mark. So when Matthew and Luke at the beginning and the end add things to Mark's order, that's where they become, you see Luke's language the most. Like We know how Luke writes, but we see that most in where he veers from Mark. Which is interesting. And, and, and I hope that makes sense. Like where he's writing the same order of events as Mark, it's not as Luke language because he's okay. copying Mark. And you can see, you can almost see where he's copying Mark and maybe fixing it a little bit with some of his language, but not writing from scratch. But like at the beginning, where he is writing from scratch, it's very, very Luke. At the end, very, very Luke, in the middle, kind of up and down, because he seems to be relying very heavily on Mark. Um, And so that's what's called Mark and priority. It's part of the explanation of what is called the synoptic problem, which is the synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke that are all very similar. And they all sound similar, and they all tell the same stories. And when you look in the Greek, a lot of the times they share the exact same language. And so the synoptic problem is how do you explain that similarity and the use of the exact same words? It's kind of like, you know, a teacher gets three papers and at points they agree with each other word for word, like something's going on here. That's not just an accident, right? They're copying from somewhere. Um, Yeah, that's the synoptic problem. How do you explain that? Well, one way you explain it is Mark in priority, that Mark was the first one written and then Matthew and Luke use Mark in the writing of their Gospels. So if you accept that to be true, which I think of all the arguments about the synoptic problem, that's the hardest one to argue against uh, because there's so much overlap. So if you accept that to be true, which is the general scholarly consensus, then when you begin to compare, I think you need to have that in in the back of your mind. So you're reading a story in Luke, let's say, um, and that this story also occurs in Mark. And so you figured out, okay, this is how Luke is using the story. And then you go and you read the story in Mark. And you ask the question, well, how is Mark using this story? And you look at the context and the themes and you figure all that out. And You're like, okay, so I know how Mark's using it. Now, and and I know how Luke is using this exact same story, what they want me to learn from it. At that point, you can then compare the two and ask the question, how is Luke changing Mark's story? In other words, Luke may tell the story slightly differently than Mark does. Um... What is? How does Luke change it, and why does he do it? In, in, in other words, what, what point is Luke trying to make that's different than Mark that leads him to make some of these little changes to the way that he tells the story? Uh, you may also ask, well, Luke might tell the story in a different place than Mark. So Mark may tell a story and have different events before and after it. Luke may tell the exact same story, but in a different place. And so you're also asking, why? Why does Luke choose to tell the story here and not in the same place that Mark does? Why does he change the order? Uh, What is Luke trying? And the reason is probably because Luke is trying uh, to get us to interpret this story in light of the stories around it. And so he wants to move it to a different location so that... uh, he can get the reader to interpret in light of some of these other things that Jesus has has done. So he moves uh, the story someplace else. And what that allows us to do is that takes us to a deeper level of understanding what Luke is doing with the story, because we're not just asking, what is Luke saying? How does it fit into its themes? How does it fit into the context? But now we can also add to it How in doing all those things is Luke changing Mark? And it opens up, well, Luke is changing Mark in this way or that way to make this point and that point or to bring this part of the story out that Mark doesn't seem to be very concerned about or so on and so forth. And you can do the exact same thing with Matthew. You find a story in in Matthew and the same stories in Mark and you ask the same questions. How is Matthew changing the story? And maybe Matthew doesn't. Like maybe he tells it exactly the same and is trying to do the exact same thing as Mark. Maybe he's not. So he changes it. He adds a little bit. He takes something away from it. He puts it in a different context. Um, All of those different kinds of things. And so when you're comparing, you're not comparing to try to harmonize, uh, but you're comparing with this understanding still that both authors are trying to do something different. But that Matthew and Luke are working off of Mark, and that can help open up how Matthew and Luke are doing different things by telling the exact same story.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there's part of me that wants to give an example of this, and then part of me that wants to say, let's wait. <laughs> and <laughs> use that for a specific, maybe maybe the next episode is a little bit of a deeper look into some of this stuff. I don't know. I don't make the rules here, so don't hold me to that. Uh, yeah, that listeners. might not
1: be a, a <laughs> bad idea. You can go back. I don't remember which episode it was, but didn't we do one on the parable of the wicked tenets? I think so. In the synoptic gospels. Each one tells the story differently and is doing making a different point with the... So that would be one that you could go back and
0: I'll look for that one.
1: Read Read. Listen to. Yeah. Um that would um be an example which yeah. might be we might do another episode with that example, but doing it differently than we did the last time, sure. Because uh, that's a that's a great example of
0: um, the
1: way that changes are made. So
0: yeah, there's a lot of um, like uh, the example I'm thinking of is Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain, uh, with. Matthew and Luke, are those two separate things was that one big, long lesson in Matthew, but in Luke, it, you know, why, why are they different? Why are the Beatitudes different? Why? Yeah.
1: You can also, um, I don't remember the way that it works, but another good example is the unforgivable sin, blasphemy of the Holy oh, Spirit. Yeah. yeah. It, I, I don't remember which two gospels it's in, but it's in two very different contexts and means two very different things. Yeah. Um, uh which is it's the exact same story <laughs> but uh it the way that the two authors def- authors define means to blaspheme the holy spirit are completely different yes which is interesting yeah um
0: i want to say yeah, here there before we, go. we get there, in
1: there's our next episode
0: yeah uh so i want to say here before we get into the other pieces of this that all kind of fit together um they're uh, the and and uh, Spencer was I mean in no uncertain terms <laughs> very harsh against the harmonized Bibles are are you know awful that was even nicer than what you said I yes, don't disagree it, though um, <laughs> uh, we, not very nice towards those from a from a uh, study standpoint we're doing ourselves a huge disservice when. The writer is using and saying things a certain way to get a point across, and we, we we erase that point. We erase that point, and uh, well, we we erase all but one of them. We say this is the point, and I need to make sure that Luke and Mark, or you know, whichever other one, that they all are saying the same thing that Matthew is saying. But we have different audiences. Different ideas in mind, different timing, all that sort of stuff going into all this. So we're actually doing ourselves a huge disservice as students when we try to harmonize those things. We're we're killing off a lot of the theological richness that's there that the writers are are trying to communicate to us. The uh, that that sounds like a no-brainer, like, okay, well, then I won't do the harmonizing thing. The trouble comes in with all of this, and I don't know how much we actually want to speak to this here, say a little thing, and then save it for the next the, the episode where we kind of deal with this a little more heavily. The problem comes in with this depending on what your definition of inspiration is, and that's where that's where people tend to get caught up. That tends to be... Uh, Ground Zero is what is my definition of inspiration? And then I'll go into how to interpret all of these things, not based on how things were written then, not based on culture at that time, but based on my definition of inspiration, which depending on what that is, could be too strict or even far too loose uh, as, as to what inspiration actually is. Uh, But you end up with a lot of people that might be hearing this, and so maybe we'll say something to it that might be hearing this going, hold on, if they're like using each other's stuff, why would they need to do that? Uh, Spirits telling them everything that they need to hear and all this stuff, and what does that what does that do to my belief in inspiration? You know, like it, they they don't need to do that. They don't need. Oral tradition—they don't, which we haven't talked about yet. They—they uh, they don't need these things, and that's typically where—that's typically where the trouble comes in uh, with this partic- particular topic. Uh, have you run across similar uh, yeah. challenges to this?
1: Yeah, yeah. And the—I'll say this: we, we can dive into it more in the next episode. But yeah, yeah. I'll—I'll I'll say this for now. I think. The problem is scripture never defines inspiration like that. Just be it. it, it, Scripture never. Calls itself. um, Inspired like the, the closest you get right is when Peter talks about the Old Testament being God breathed, but. Let's make a distinction b- between that Peter is writing and probably isn't considering his letter to be scripture. It's not considered scripture yet. The books that are considered scripture th- that is the Old Testament. Peter is calling inspired. The Old Testament in itself doesn't call itself inspired and Peter doesn't call his book inspired. Like that 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 we we forget all that and you could dive further into that like peter calls some of the letters of paul scripture so we see even early on at least some of paul's letters starting to get up to the same level as the old testament but probably not yeah. there and not called inspired also so the scripture doesn't call itself inspired it doesn't define what inspiration means none of that is there so no matter how we define inspiration, what we're doing is we are defining this term and then we're imposing this definition onto scripture. And we try to make scripture fit our definition of inspiration. Like that's the way it works hands down. If you think that's not what you're doing, that is what you're doing because scripture does not define what inspiration means. You're defining inspiration and imposing it on scripture. But so am I. So is Jack. So that, that That's what we're yeah. all doing yeah. i'm not saying that's wrong for us to do i'm saying let's understand that that's what we're doing which means that i would argue let's start in scripture and figure out what scripture is trying to do and then let that de- determine how i define inspiration and then impose that back on scripture what i think we do too often is i define inspiration and and think that that's the way that scripture defines it. The scripture never defines it. Then I impose that on scripture and I make scripture fit that definition even when it doesn't want to. Um, and I would just argue, let's start with the Bible and yeah. figure out what is the Bible trying to do or, and what is the Bible doing? How were these written? These were written with sources, for example, and let that then determine, okay, based on what I know to be true, how am I going to define inspiration? Um it doesn't mean that the bible's not inspired it's just i have to let a bible that doesn't define inspiration define inspiration if that makes sense so sure. um it's it, to me it's a little different a starting point yeah. Um, yeah, yeah than what what most people have but we'll probably talk about that a little bit uh, and we did some episodes on inspiration so you can go back yes. and uh listen to those as well um i think that more. I would link
0: those too but now we're now we've got 100 <laughs> episodes in the show notes go back and listen to every episode every episode we've ever done that we have
1: ever done and it will make this
0: episode make sense perfect um <laughs> okay. moving moving from mark and priority because uh the uh we are becoming self-fulfilling prophecy with this episode shortest notes longest episode longest episode uh we have q just the letter q here oh, what is q. that q Stands for uh, the German word
1: quell, which means source. So, back to the Mm -hmm. synoptic problem. Uh, Not only do you have these stories where Matthew, Mark, and Luke agree almost word for word, and people try to figure out, well, what's going on here? But you have other stories that aren't in Mark, but are in both Matthew and Luke. Okay. And Matthew and Luke agree almost word for word like they're copying again and so that's the second step of the synoptic problem is okay how do we explain these stories that show up in all three well we explain that by saying matthew and luke copied off of mark but then what do we do with these other stories that show up in only matthew and luke but they seem to be copying from someone um well that has led scholars to hypothesize the existence of a source called Q. And I say hypothesize because we don't actually have Q. We right. don't actually know that Q existed, but it's just it's a hypothetical document that both Matthew and Luke had amongst their other sources, which explains when Matthew and Luke agree word for word on stories that aren't in Mark. Now what's interesting is where Matthew and Luke agree, word for word, is almost always in sayings of Jesus, not narrative. Sayings of Jesus. Hmm. So, that has led scholars to hypothesize that there was this source, which they just called Q, which means source, like because we, we don't have it. But yeah. there's this source called Q that was a sayings gospel. It was just lists It was a list of sayings of Jesus. Jesus said this. Jesus said that. Jesus said this other thing. And both Mark and Luke have a copy of these sayings from Jesus and use that as one of their probably many sources that they used in compiling their gospel. Now, what's interesting about Q, we could delve a lot into this, but uh, go online and Google uh, the Coptic Gospel of Thomas. Uh, the Coptic Gospel of Thomas is a sayings gospel. So what scholars hypothesize Q was, just Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said. No context, no story, no narrative, nothing. Just a list of sayings that begins with Jesus said, and then Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said. Jesus said. So no context the coptic gospel of thomas likely dates to the s- mid second century maybe even early second century so it's a very early gospel not not as early as our new testament gospels but very soon after very early and what the coptic of Go- uh, the coptic gospel of thomas illustrates to us is that very early on there were gospels that were just lists of jesus sayings so What that means is that the hypothetical Q isn't all that far out there as an actual possibility, because we know of a gospel that was in a similar form that existed, you know, within 50 years of the writing of the New Testament gospels. Sure. So very early. Uh, Some people have argued that the Gospel of Thomas is Q, but the Gospel of Thomas seems to be... Seems to know the Synoptics, like it seems to be copying from them, not the other way around. Okay. Um. Seems to be the seems to be the case with with Q, and that's a deeper discussion of, of why scholars think that. But uh, Q does seem to postdate uh, the Gospels. It also seems to incorporate some Gnostic teaching, which didn't exist until the second century. Okay. Uh, that is yeah. now the. Uh, some listening may have heard of Gnosticism because it's talked about a lot with the uh johannine literature so gospel of john first second and third john Um, still
0: very relevant to today by the way
1: discussions (laughs) uh yes um uh gnosticism was just a reworking of platonism yep uh which both of which are just a reworking of modernism uh modernism is just a reworking of gnosticism which is a reworking of platonism um nt wright actually did a series of lectures on it that were turned into a book um eschatology in the kingdom i don't know i've got it sitting over on my shelf but i can't read the spine um he talks about it in that book anyway um so you may have heard the term gnostics uh the scholarly consensus today is that gnosticism did not exist in the first century um maybe some of the roots that develop in to the gnostic movement were there but it didn't actually exist so Uh, I mentioned the Johannine literature because sometimes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John are interpreted as the false teachers that John is addressing are Gnostics. They're not Gnostics. There's considerable differences between what the false teachers in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John are teaching and what Gnostics came to believe. But what they're teaching could have been the roots of what turns into Christian Gnosticism in the 2nd century. Um, But... I say that to say because the Coptic Gospel of Thomas has passages that seem very gnostic. If they are gnostic, then it has to date to the 2nd century because we have no evidence of gnostic teaching actually existing in the 1st, but develops mid 2nd century. Um I know that's a lot there. Um but there's your little history, but so if we accept Q, which not all scholars do, but let's assume. Sure that there's this source that are just sayings of Jesus that both Matthew and Luke used. Which what that means is that when you begin to compare, you could do the same thing that you do with Mark. So you have a story in Matthew. It's not in Mark, but it is in Luke. And so you say, okay, this is probably a story that they got from a similar source, perhaps Q. And Q could also be multiple sources. Like it doesn't have to be one document. It's just the idea that there's this similar source or group of sources that they're both using. So that's something else to keep in mind. Not so, not that that matters, but um, in case you were wondering. So sure. uh, you have a story in, in Matthew. It's not in Mark, but it is in Luke. You figure out what it means in Matthew. Then you go over to Luke and you figure out what it means in Luke. And then when you compare, you ask the question of, okay, if they're both copying from the same source, Again, how are they using this story differently? Why, mm-hmm. how do they tell it differently? What are the differences between the way that they tell it and why might they have decided to tell it differently? Look at the context. Because if Q was a sayings gospel, then remember there's no context with the original source, which means Matthew and Luke had to choose where to put it because they don't know where it belongs. So they have to pick a place, which means that the place that they pick is very, very important, even more important than when they're copying Mark, because a lot of the times they just keep Mark's order. And, um, but they have to choose where am I going to tell this story? Where's the best place? And so it's important in those where Matthew and Luke overlap to ask, why do they choose to tell it here? Like what? Why is it so important that it's here? And not over here. Uh, And so context in that case becomes even more important um, in trying to dive deeper into the way that Matthew and Luke are using the same story, just in different ways. Um, And that all kind of leads to, I'll hit real quick on the idea of oral tradition. We might do an entire lesson on oral tradition. Sure. Sure. I've said this before, the difficult thing about oral tradition is that since it's oral, we don't know anything about it. Uh, We can work back to oral tradition from things that are written, but once something's written, it's no longer oral tradition. It's now written tradition, if that makes sense. like For something to be oral tradition means it can't be written down. If it's not written down, it means we don't have access to it today. The only things that we have access to from the early followers of Jesus is what is written
0: down. The tradition formerly known as oral tradition. Which is not
1: oral tradition. But what that means (laughs) is that uh, the gospel writers, when
0: they're writing,
1: they are likely using oral tradition and now writing that oral tradition down. Um, And so I think that's just important to keep in mind, because when you start doing these comparisons and still allowing the gospels to stand on their own, and you're asking questions of how are they using the same stories differently— uh, what factors into that is oral tradition. They may have access to other traditions that tell the story differently. So Luke may be copying from Mark, but the church that he's a part of has been telling the same story for that Mark's telling for generations. They just tell it slightly differently, which could lead to Luke telling it in the way that Luke does, right? So um, it's just an added piece to... Not that the oral tradition is all that important, I think, for most of our interpretations, but it's an added piece to understand why they may have told it differently. So the point that it comes down to is you always, even when you're comparing, you allow every gospel to stand on its own. And when you do compare, the question is, how are they doing it differently? How are they tell, and why are they telling the same story, maybe in a different way, or maybe in a different context? And not that you understand Mark and Priority or Q or the synoptic problem or anything like that with great depth. You don't have to. But I think the way that's helpful is for us just to understand why we need to ask those questions. Why is it important to ask? Why does Luke tell the same story in a different way in a different place? Um, To unlock in even more depth um, what Luke is trying to do. Uh, We even talked Hmm. about that a little bit when we did the Lord's Supper in Luke, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Luke tells the Last Supper differently because he's doing different things with it. Right. Um, And the reason we ask those questions is built on the idea of Mark and Priority and of Q and of oral tradition. Because here's something that's interesting. I know we're like already out of time and we've got more (laughs) to talk about, but um, when you compare the Lord's Supper in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where they agree word for word is uh, what you could call liturgical or worship language, like what someone might have said during worship. I think I said this in one of those episodes. So Jesus took bread, broke it, gave it to them saying, like that's word for word agreement. Same words, same tense, same everything in all three. Which to me suggests that all of that dates to an oral tradition that predates Mark. Like those were the words that were being used by most Christians in most Christian communities as they took of the Lord's Supper since the very beginning. And that language becomes so ingrained that it shows up in all three accounts. Um, And... That's an example of where the the oral tradition is actually kind of interesting, because I think that dates back to an oral tradition, Mm. Um, uh, particularly within churches. Uh, I think it's liturgical language that shows up in all three accounts, word for word. Um, You can even apply that a little bit to uh, some things that Paul says that probably predate Paul. So like the Christ hymn in Philippians 2 is probably a song that Paul didn't come up with. But that he used. Sure. Um the list of uh post resurrection appearances in First Corinthians fifteen. Paul says, I delivered to you what was delivered to me. So it predates it predates Paul. It's something that was told orally. Probably what it was, it was kind of like our uh in churches of Christ, you know, you have like the five finger things, hear, believe, confess, repent, be baptized. Yeah. Right? This is how you teach people the gospel. Uh, which is Also bad, but uh, another episode. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15. (laughs) uh, Likely served like that. It was how, you know, when you tell people about Jesus, this is what you say. He died, he was buried, he was raised, and he appeared to these people. And like that was handed down orally. And then Paul decided to finally write it down. um, Which is when it stops being oral tradition. Because now it's written tradition. But... That's something that probably has a connection back to an oral tradition. Um, when Paul talks about "we cry out, Abba, Father," in both Galatians and Romans, probably liturgical language. Um, okay. So probably dates back to an to an oral tradition uh, that uh, was used in uh, so. Abba is Aramaic for father, which Aramaic is what Jesus spoke. So when Jesus talked about God as father, he would have used Abba. Uh, But as Christianity begins to spread, it begins to spread into not, uh, especially to the Gentiles uh, who don't speak uh, Hebrew or Aramaic. They're Greek speaking. Well, uh, pater uh, is the Greek word for father. So Abba father is uh, Abba pater, which is just father, father. But the idea there is that uh, we, so Gentile Greek speakers, refer to God as our Father in the same way that God was Jesus' Father. So, Jesus could call God Abba, and we can call God Abba. Like That's the idea. It's the deep connection of we are sons of God in the same way that Jesus was, because we're in Jesus. Yeah. That's the idea that's being—which is a phenomenally deep idea. But, um. What probably happened is that in churches, uh, people used this language of Abba Pater to bring out that deep of I'm calling Godfather in the same way that Jesus did. And so using uh, Gr- Greek speakers who didn't know Aramaic, but that Aramaic word hung over in their communities because of its deep tie to Jesus, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably an example of something that also— predates Paul, was an oral tradition, particularly within worship context, that Paul then integrates into uh, Galatians and uh, Romans. So there's another example of how the oral tradition mm, possibly works, at
0: least within Paul. Um, question here for you, before we get into what is subpoint E on our point one here. Do you want to wrap after that after e or do you want to try to run through everything else because we can do as many episodes as we want we're in charge here
1: um (laughs) let's quickly run through everything else Uh, i don't have i i don't have as much to say i don't think we'll see we'll see we'll see (laughs) we'll see okay okay, the, the last
0: one here uh, audience and mirror
1: reading. Mirror reading. So uh, the idea of mirror reading is that you're you're reading what Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John say, and you're trying to mirror that into what situation that gospel author was addressing or writing into. Mm-hmm. So in essence, what audience he was speaking to. Yeah. Um, and there's inherent problems with mirror reading because. You can't always tell, so you're doing a, a lot of guesswork sometimes, particularly sure. with the Gospels, who don't have addressees. Uh, but also, th- there's been some, there's deba- a lot of debate going on in scholarly circles right now um, about whether or not the Gospels actually had an audience, or if they were just generally to be read by everyone, or whether the author had a particular community in mind. Um I want to say it was Richard Bauckham who wrote a book a few years ago called "Like The Gospels for Everyone or something like that and argues that the Gospels did not have an intended audience and makes a very, very compelling argument, which has led to a lot of debate about whether you can even do mere reading with the Gospels. Now, I take a middle-of-the-road approach. I think The gospel authors expected their work to be read by a large group of people, just like Paul expected his letters to, as we know. Sure. He wrote them to one community, but expected them to be shared. He mentions that to the Corinthians. Um, And I think that's probably what's going on with the gospels, that there is a community. There are specific situations that the author has in mind, but they also expect and are writing in such a way that it applies to a much larger and broader audience. So, um, the idea of mere reading is just, uh, the idea of interpreting it in light of the audience. Like what is the situation and the people that are being addressed? Again, I mentioned Matthew's written to Jews, Luke's written to Gentiles. Um, in the gospel of John, for example, there's a lot of discussion about like the, uh, There's a lot of negative things going on about the temple. So it's like Jesus is the temple greater than the actual temple. Um, And there's also within that a lot of talk about followers of Jesus being kicked out of synagogues, which we know did not happen until the end of the first century, which is one way we date John. Like John is writing at a time where there's a deep divide that has begun between christian jews and non-christian jews who used to still worship and fellowship together early on they're beginning to divide and so john's gospel is written in a way that addresses that that's why he emphasizes jesus is the temple the actual temple has been destroyed jesus is the new temple that's why he talks about being kicked out of the synagogues and stuff because that's actually what's happening within the communities that john knows Hmm. um so knowing the time and the audience and the community that John's writing to helps unlock why John emphasizes those things. It's because you're getting this divide at the end of the first century between Christian Jews and non-Christian Jews. Um, so take the audience in, into consideration. Uh, those are a couple of places where it's it's helpful uh, seeing the Jewish emphasis in Matthew. Uh, seeing the, the the Gentile emphasis in Luke that Jesus has come for the entire world. John writing at a time where you're having this divide between Christian and non-Christian Jews and emphasizing Jesus as the temple and being kicked out of the synagogue and so on and, and so forth. Uh, that just helps unlock a deeper meaning of what's going on. Um, okay, uh, real quick. I'm going to run through point two.
0: Okay, go for it.
1: Um, read the Gospels as ancient bioi or as ancient biography. Now we did in episode 31, I did a very extensive discussion of how ancient biographies work. So go listen to that because I'm not going to do this here because we're already an hour into it. (laughs) Um, But uh, we talked about how the gospels are not modern biographies. They are ancient biographies, which work very different. And people had very different expectations of ancient biographies than we do for modern biographies. The purpose of ancient biographies were not primarily to present historical information about a particular individual that we might might expect out of modern biographies, but they were to speak about an individual to cause a response from the audience. So you would want someone to like the person or to hate the person, or if you're writing about a philosopher, which is what the gospels really are, talking about Jesus, the philosopher, the teacher. You would want them to live like the philosopher or to accept the philosopher's teaching, which is what John tells us he's doing, right? That you may believe or that you may go on believing. You may continue to live and accept the teachings of the philosopher Jesus. Uh, That's how ancient biographies work, which means that they are uh, biased. They're trying to get you to do something. And so Uh, Just with this point, I just wanted to say, go back and listen to that other episode where we dive into it. And when you're reading the Gospels, just remember that they're doing something different than a modern biography. Don't expect out of them the same thing that you would expect out of a biography that you go and pick up at Barnes & Noble. Um, And this last point is the thing that I just want to hit home with how, how we interpret them is that ancient writers were allowed to take certain literary liberties. Um, and so we talk about you know the changing of the order of events and changing the, the way that they're told, right. We've talked about all that. which what that means is when we read them like that, don't try to do too much historical work, right? Sometimes we, we ask all these questions of uh, the historicity and that's where we try to harmonize the gospels and start to uh, don't do that. Read them theologically. Read them to learn about the God revealed in Jesus. Don't worry about all the historical stuff, because you're not a historical Jesus scholar. Uh, you're not a historical Jesus expert. You don't. Reading the Gospels historically is very different. Uh, there's other information you need to know. That's where you have to start considering the synoptic problem and Mark and priority and Q and oral tradition, and you're trying to do this mirror reading and all that kind of stuff that... I'll just be honest, the average person is not trained to do, which means it could be a very dangerous exercise for you to try to do if you don't know what you're doing. Mm. So don't do that. Um, Because as ancient biographies, they are not written like a modern biography. They're not written for you to do that kind of historical work and ask historical questions. They are written to say something about God, to do theological work, and to ask theological questions, which means you ask questions about How is this, what is this story trying to teach me about the God revealed in Jesus? Uh, That's particularly true for the gospels that are speaking about Jesus. So don't try to do too much historical work. Uh, Just stick to the theological side of things. Um, Because at the end of the day, when we're talking about salvation and living like Jesus, that's the most important thing anyways. Uh, The historical stuff can aid the theology. But I always encourage people, let the historians do the historical work. Um, because we can't all be experts and trained to do everything. I would rather most Christians strive to be better theologians and rely on historians than to be better historians and not have a clue how to do theology. Hmm. That's why our podcast is called Thinking Theologically, because I think that's the most important thing for the average person to do. Uh, though the history is important, but save that for the historians. Um, the average person in the pew, I think, like I said, needs to be a
0: theologian. Yeah, there we go. That may have answered our uh, initial question too of the, the doctor thing, and how does that change uh, everybody? Everybody always being theologians and trying to uh, trying to grow. You'll just be uh, maybe a little further along the path uh, than than most, but so maybe we'll reduce it down. <laughs> Just resident theologian. man of the people. <laughs> we covered <laughs> covered a lot of things in this episode, but it feels like there's so much more uh, to cover and perhaps the next episode will be us a, like a, a rabbit hole episode where we go okay, hold on let's let's talk a little bit more about this. let's see let's see this sort of thing in action that may be what we do. There may be some written stuff about that. who knows? you can by liking us on Facebook and by checking out thinkingtheologically.org uh, for those types of things. Rarely will we have two like new things come out in a week. The podcast is every other week unless we're sick or dying or you know all that sort of stuff, which has been the trend uh, recently. But uh, normally the podcast is every other week, and so if there's going to be some new other thing, it'll be in the weeks in between. Uh, but follow us on Facebook just so there's no, no question. There will be a nice little surprise for you uh, as it pops up in your feed there. Uh, remember that you can always reach us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com for uh, thoughts about episodes, questions, maybe follow-ups on things that we have said that you want us to pursue a little more. And, of course, you can reach us personally, uh, me on, on Facebook, Spencer, uh, absolutely everywhere all at once he's mm-hmm. he's uh he is a uh, young at heart technologically speaking <laughs> not any and not in any other way <laughs> not in any other way uh whatsoever oh <laughs> uh, this is uh this has been how to interpret the gospels and uh look forward to some more discussion on these things i'm jack and that's spencer we'll see you next time